Welcome to Murderous Roots, a podcast where murder and family meet as we explore the family tree of a killer. Hey everyone, this is Denise, and I hope you had a wonderful holiday season. I'd like to welcome you back. We are happy to be back with you with part two, covering the baby stealer, Georgia Tan. In this episode, we're getting really in deep into her family tree, where we will share some secrets that were kept and some tragedies. But before we begin, I want to let you know about something new that's happening with Murderous Roots. We will now be moving to a seasonal format. Our first official season will include Jeffrey Dahmer, Eileen Warnos, John Wayne Gacy, Randy Kraft, Herb Baumeister, as well as one tragic victim, Harvey Milk. And with Harvey Milk, we'll even get into the person who killed him and the mayor who died with him. Okay, so let's get started. And here again is part two covering Georgia Tan. George, I mean, her life was a lot more steady. I mean, her family wasn't wealthy, but they weren't struggling. There wasn't a lot of death going on. You know, it was just all smooth. But after her husband died, she moved in with her niece, Tilly Tan Clark, and her husband. Actually, no, let me go back. After Georgia died, because I believe after her husband died, she for a time lived with Georgia. Hmm. Okay. So for a time she, you know, lived on her own, but then she moved in with her niece. And then after she died, Tilly, she moved in with her brother, James Washington Yates. In 1959, George Washington Yates died. Boy, she outlived everybody. Yes. And she went to live with her nephew, Tan Yates, where she remained until her death in 1963 at the age of 97. Wow. She almost made it to 100. Mm -hmm. Now, it's like so hard trying to decide where to go next. Are there any cool stories from the tree? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I don't know where I put those stories. Well, tell me a story, Denise. Tell me a story. Well, (laughs) this is where I'm like. So before I go too far, I have to do this for Zelda. We have a postmaster alert. (laughs) There is one postmaster in the family that I found. Okay, well, they're being redeemed. Is this a thing? I love. Yes, she loves postmasters. (laughs) It's so funny. The, I, I, the first time I said, oh, and so-and-so was a postmaster, she got so excited. Now it's become like a, a thing. It's our thing now. <laughs> I have relatives from Yorkshire that were postmasters. <gasps> I knew you were the bomb. That's <laughs> awesome. Both of us have postmasters in our family trees, too. Yes. Maybe everybody uh, does. Maybe that's like, maybe that's yeah. the one thing that everybody in the world has in common. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have not found that for everybody yet, but you never know. Um, on May 17th, 1867, Winifred Cottrell Hodges Floyd, Beulah's great-grandmother on her father's side, was appointed a postmaster for <gasps> Big Oak in Kemper County, Mississippi. A lady postmaster. Yeah, but oh, we talked about this mistress. before. 
Part of it was because after the Civil War, they didn't trust the men mm-hmm. who had fought mm-hmm. to be a postmaster. So they oh. would go to the women. Mm-hmm. And she remained postmaster until December that same year. So we do have a postmaster. I'm very surprised they didn't call her a postmistress. Well, I'm sure they did, but I oh, figure okay. why be sexist about it? Postmaster's <laughs> a postmaster. My bad. <laughs> Well, it's like, it's funny because I have a friend I made on Twitter who's a comedian and she gets so mad when people call her a comedian. She's like, I'm a comedian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Like actors are actors. (laughs) It doesn't need to be brought. Yeah. Okay. So earlier, Julie asked about, you know, because of her brother being Rob Roy, if there was Scottish um, evidence. And I did find that it was on her father's side, the Cottrell's. And they went back to Tilston. Well, actually, they, no, they weren't Scottish now. I think about it. Oh. But they might have been. I don't know. Um, they went back to Tilston, Cheshire, England. Ooh, Cheshire. Hmm. And they were <laughs> Georgia's sixth great-grandparents, Dutton Catherall, born to John Catherall and Alice Dutton in 1656. Hmm. And this brings me on my own little mini rant. So on this line in particular, genealogy errors abound. Oh, boy. I saw several trees claiming that Dutton Catherall married Margaret de Horton. So if you happen to be have this in your family tree and you happen to be listening, it's wrong. Change it now, delete it. It's wrong. <laughs> and here's why. Number one, I mean, first off, there's no evidence of a marriage between them, like no marriage record. Number two, she was 22 years Dutton senior. That's Unheard I mean, of. there's that's yeah, yeah. It's more heard of like a male yeah, marrying opposite, somebody 22 years. Opposite yeah, is perfectly legit. <laughs> number three, Dutton's son, Jonathan, was born in Maryland, yet Margaret never left England. Well, that's a problem. I mean, this is this is a basic logic yeah. issue. So if you're looking at this thinking, oh, this fits, it doesn't. This is and why fourth, we don't blindly copy people's ancestry trees. <laughs> exactly. And fourth, last but certainly not least, they supposedly wed when Alice was actually pregnant with Dutton. Oh. Oh. They couldn't get married when Dutton wasn't even born yet. Yeah. Yeah. So stop accepting all those hints. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basic logic, people. Or just copying other people's trees. Thinking they know what I am just like, about. what? Okay. Um, so I do have lots of interesting things. So, and then we'll go to the rest of um, her um, immediate family. But there were several people who were in the military in her family. She had three great-grandfathers that I was able to identify clearly, actually four, that were revolutionary patriots. There was Captain Jonathan Cottrell and his son Samuel James Cottrell. So those were her fourth and third great-grandfathers. Also on the paternal side, there was Philemon Hodges. And he wasn't only a revolutionary patriot, and he enlisted in 1776 at the age of 16 and he was commissioned a captain five years later, but he was also a veteran of the War of 1812. Mm. So he did two wars. And then on her maternal line, there's a Peter Yates. And he got some of his land in North Carolina as part of his service. These were war bounties. So you would sign up to serve and, the, and they would give you land. So, you know, it gives people an advantage that other people might not ha- ever have. And then the War of 1812, Alfred Tan also served there. Then there's the Civil War. You know, I I looked for um, slaveholders in particular because that's 
that's one of those things I'm always curious about. And there wasn't a whole lot of that with this family, but there was some. So the first evidence I found of anybody enslaving humans was in the 1850 census. After this family had left North Carolina and Georgia and moved to Mississippi, the Yates family, James B. Yates, he owned three, one 50-year-old male, one 40-year-old female, and one 14-year-old boy, which makes me wonder if this was a family. But in 1860, he and his wife, Stacia, didn't have any enslaved people in their home. And they died soon after. On the tan side, Alfred's wife, Mary Jane, came from a family of slave owners. In fact, part of that lawsuit I mentioned earlier where he was described as being poor involved Alfred over a human being who had been willed to his wife. Oh, God. Yeah. Her name was Winnie because it's important that they have a name. So his her father died around 1820. She's willed this person and she died and that they were wanting to get this person back in their ownership. I mean, it's just so nasty. Wow. Despite being considered poor, he had four enslaved people in 1830, five in 1850, and two in 1860. He had none in 1840, which I think was the poor time, but you know, whatever. It's just gross. Wow. They all supported the Confederacy when it came time for war. And we have two Confederate soldiers. One, George's grandfather on her mother's side, Thomas Eli Yates, who was born in Randolph County, Alabama in 1838. Grew up to be a farmer, and as far as I can tell, he never owned another human, and neither did his father. Thomas Eli married Susan Lee from Neosha County, Mississippi in 1860. Then he enlisted in the Confederate Army with his brother, William Lafayette Yates, in Company G of the 40th Mississippi Infantry. His father, Darling Barber Yates, um, also listed, but unable to confirm which regiment, but I think it was the same one. And I'll, Darling. I'll say why. Yeah, Darling. <laughs> I, just, I love that name needs to come back. That would be fun. The 40th Mississippi Infantry was organized in mid-1862, and they were involved in two major battles. Um, the first was the Battle of Ayuka in September 1862, and then the next one was the Second Battle of Corinth in Mississippi, in Mississippi in October 1862. In both battles, the Union won. Then came the Siege of Vicksburg, which began in May 18, 1863. Now, why am I bringing all this up? Because they had some bad luck. So this battle resulted in a huge win for Union forces, the Siege of Vicksburg. And it was appropriate given that the battle ended on July 4th when Confederate General John C. Pemberton surrendered. General Ulysses S. Grant would march away with 6,000 Confederate men as prisoners of war. Wow. Including the Yates brothers and their father, Darling. In fact, the entire 40th Mississippi Infantry was captured. Wow. Now, Darling would not live long after they were released, and and they were released July 7th. So they were only under capture for like three days. Hmm. Whereas Thomas was actually a POW three different times. He kept getting caught. In 1862, after the Battle of Iuka, 1863 with the Vicksburg, and then again in 1865, as he and his regiment were marching from Columbus, Mississippi to Vicksburg. And I find this kind of amusing as to be released. They had to sign this document saying, I will not fire upon anybody in the union. I'm not going to fight against you anymore. He signed this form three different times. I don't think they really thought people would stop. It's just, I find it amusing. So before the war started, Thomas and his wife, before, I should say, before he enlisted in the Confederate army, he and his wife had two children. Afterward, they would have eight more. 
And one of those eight was Beulah Yates, mother of Georgia, born in 1868. Now, Beulah's grandfather on her father's side, Thomas Austin Tan, the one who died during the war, enlisted in Company I of the 2nd Arkansas Infantry Regiment of the Confederate Army as a sergeant on June 20th, 1861. His unit was organized in Helena, Arkansas, which sits along the Mississippi River. But I find this interesting because he actually lived in Jones Bluff, Alabama in 1860, 340 miles away. So I don't know why he went all the way to Arkansas to enlist, but I'm positive it's him. Hmm. After a few early skirmishes, the 2nd Arkansas Infantry was incorporated into the Army of Central Kentucky under the command of General Albert S. Johnston starting in October 1861. And this group of regiments would end at the end of March 1862. So it was a very temporary thing where they just got a whole bunch and they called them the Army of whatever. The Army of Central Kentucky fought at the Battle of Fort Donelson from February 11th to February 16th in 1862. Fort Donelson is located along the Cumberland River, just 30 miles west of Clarksville, Tennessee. And it was a fort held by the Confederacy at the time. Before this particular battle, General Ulysses S. Grant and his Army of Tennessee fought at Fort Henry, another Confederate fort, and he seized it for the Union. Then he and his troops headed 12 miles east to Fort Donelson. I just find it, why did they have like 12 miles, two forts? It seems a little close, right? (laughs) That's right out. I don't understand war. Yeah, I don't either. (laughs) By February 15th, the fort was surrounded by Union troops. General John B. Floyd wanted to create a way so that the Confederate troops could escape and withdraw to Nashville. Sounds like a smart move to me. So he launched a surprise attack on the Union to provide a distraction. And it worked. But Floyd started having a panic attack about it, got all worried, and ordered the men back to the fort. Hmm. And they surrendered the next day. And that's a super short synopsis. I mean, for anybody who loves military history, I am sure you can find something that's going to give you more. But that's all I got for you. Wow. Um, Around 1,000 soldiers on both sides during that battle were killed. Wow. Over 3,000 were left injured on the field of battle, and over 11,000 Confederate soldiers were captured. Thomas was one of the injured. He was shot in battle, and he was removed to Murfreesboro, Tennessee. So I'm thinking he was one of the troops that escaped the fort Mm -hmm. during that thing and just didn't come back. And so it saved him from being captured as a POW. However, it didn't help him. On February 23rd, he died of his wounds. Mm. So I mentioned earlier that George had a brother, Thomas Meredith Tan, you know, son of Thomas Austin. And he also got into politics. So this is like a whole thing with this family. He was a superintendent of education in Kemper County, Mississippi. And that's where he was living with his wife and children in 1898. And this is a story of two murders. Ooh. Or... One potential murder and one actual murder. Murder most foul. Yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting to pull that out of my hat today. <laughs> awesome. It was, it was very well done. Thank you. So it, it started in 1898 in Kemper County. He was in a bit of a feud with another prominent attorney by the name of H.H. Rogers. H.H. Rogers lived in a neighboring county and apparently Tan was upset saying that he had been be defrauded by Rogers of $15. Now, that's about $500 today. So, you know, it's significant. Although, you know, now you're like 15 bucks. What the heck? So on March 10th, Rogers, along with his friends, happened to be in their county to do some work. And he's walking by Thomas's house. And 
Tan saw him and came out and asked Rogers to come inside to discuss this money that was owed to him. And he said he has in a letter explaining how this debt came to be and why it was owed to him and asked him to come inside the house to look at it. Rogers said he started to go in in with him, but he stopped. Tan continued into the house, then came back out with a double-barreled shotgun. He was stopped by others from shooting Rogers, but he was very close to it. Now, the next day, Tan and Rogers met in a courtroom over the issue, and Tan asked Rogers to accompany him so they could settle the issue, but Rogers refused. And here's a quote, whereupon Tan abused Rogers and went on down the stairs. Rogers explained to the court the situation, and the court ordered the sheriff to bring Tan into court, where he was placed under bond of $500 for 12 months to keep the peace. Were they? Was he challenging him to a duel? No, he was just wanting to... <laughs> kill him, I think. A different newspaper claimed it was $1,000. And Tan said his friends would see that his desires were carried out. Okay. Thomas ended up coming out of it okay. Yeah. He stayed superintendent of education. Wow. Wow. Um, That's crazy. It's a wild west, yeah. Yeah. And he had a couple more children a few years later, the last being born in June 1903. And that brings me to 1904, August 8th, with Thomas again. So he goes to the drugstore. And runs into a well-known and well-regarded planter from the area, Irvin Henderson. And they have words over an upcoming case where they're on opposite sides. Now, Henderson was involved in a peonage case. Do you know what that is, Zelda? Peonage? Yeah, I, peon, like peon uh-huh. and then age. I believe it's a situation where you're hiring people and you're not paying them. Oh, like the peons. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that underpaying? where you're hiring relatives when you're not supposed to? No, that's nepotism. Okay, I'm going to look up. I'm going to look it up because okay. now I'm like, I don't know. But I feel like I should know. It's paying off a debt with work. Ah, oh, that's it. Oh, oh like, close. like uh, uh, indentured servitude. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So why didn't they just call it that? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this case involved him... And Henry Schatz, who had been accused of shooting into the house of the Leggett boys. So they're arguing over this. Thomas then made a few statements regarding the truthfulness of the Leggetts as well as Henderson. And I'll get into this a little bit more in a second. But Tan asked Henderson to discuss the matter with him outside. Apparently, he always likes to go to the side with people to have conversation. And both of them went outside. The order of the next point was up to debate by a jury in March 8, 1905. Henderson claimed that Tan was pulling out his pistol, so he got out his pistol to defend himself, and he shot Tan. And it was a lucky shot, not for Tan, since it hit Tan in the heart and killed him immediately. Oh, my God. So yeah. he's saying, like, he, it slipped? Well, he, <laughs> so Henderson's basically saying, well, Thomas was pulling out his gun, so I shot him before I got shot. Oh. Self-defense. Okay. But Tan's pistol was still in his jacket. Oh. Be- and it was huh. like, they claimed so that he basically got claimed self-defense, even though he was obviously the only witness and said uh, he was reaching for his gun. Yeah. Yeah. And saying that it got caught in his jacket. He couldn't get it out. Okay. And, you know. Wow. He was found not guilty by the jury. Wow. Now, I do want to kind of go over this peonage case really quick so you understand what's going on with this, because I found this fascinating. So Henry Schatz, this guy that they were yelling about, and Henry Schatz was, had been accused of shooting into this home, the Leggett boys. He was instrumental in federal charges 
in an upcoming case against Ross Leggett for peonage. Both were prominent farmers in Kemper County, and the person that Leggett was accused of using for peonage was a black resident. Oh, wow. A threat was made at the time that the charges were pressed that any person testifying against those charged like the Leggetts would be assassinated. Wow. So I feel like that's why both guys had the guns in their pockets and stuff. They were on edge. They were waiting for something to happen. I never did see the result of the peonage case. Couldn't find it. Oh, by the way, on those cases involving the shots and stuff, I found one of the funniest sentences I've ever in a news, one of the best sentences, I should say, in a newspaper article. It was in the Clarion Ledger on March 11th, 1898. Kimber County has added another killing to the long list that has given it the reputation of being the one where human blood is held cheapest. Wow. Damn. <laughs> One Whoa. of the best senses Yeah, ever, that's good. I swear. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. I love old newspaper mm-hmm. writings. I too. I, it's my so favorite great. are wedding announcements because, or like, because they'll detail the bride's dress mm-hmm. and what the bridesmaids yeah. wore. And I'm just, I live for that. <laughs> okay. So let's go to Anne Atwood now. Let's oh. do. Now we've handled the past. Now we're so, talking. Now, as we all know, they were in this long-term romantic lesbian relationship, but nobody knows when that part started and because they didn't always live together, although more times than not, they did. And it's funny because I saw it reference that they're childhood friends, Oh, but I don't understand how that's possible. I mean, the age gap was so huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And while- Maybe their families were- knew each other. That's what I've thought because Beulah, I mean, Beulah, I mean, Georgia was born in- Neshoba County, where Anne grew up, but they moved long before Anne was born. So, hmm. yeah. Anyhow, Anne, who Maybe was Maybe that's just March, what they told people as an excuse as to why they were together. Yeah, I think that's probably... Yeah. And I think George's parents knew about their relationship and sure. covered it up. They helped her. So, Anne was born in March 1899 in Meridian, Mississippi. Her parents were Martin Lee Atwood and Nancy Cornelia. She was one of nine children. She was one of the middle children. And her father died when she was nine. Mm. You know, it's often thought that her career. So we were talking about how, you know, Georgia got her start in Mississippi receiving home. But and I was wrong. Um, When she was in Louisiana, she was teaching there, too. So there was a little article in the Newton Record on June 13th, 1918, that said the following. Miss Georgia Tan, who has been teaching in St. Francisville, Louisiana, returned home last week accompanied by Miss Annie Atwood, a co-teacher who was her guest a few days en route home to Meridian. Isn't that interesting how newspapers used to just like talk about when people were visiting town? Yeah. And <laughs> Especially the small town newspaper. You don't see yeah. that as much in the big yeah. city papers. Yeah. Unless Because it's on the nothing happened pages. and so they were, tried to make it sound like they had interesting yeah. lives. <laughs> Now, by 1925, Georgia and Anne had worked and lived together on and off for at least seven years. Hmm. In 1943, Georgia would adopt Anne as her daughter. All right. So that she could inherit Georgia's estate someday. Yeah. And that included some back dealing. She had to get a judge to sign off on that. That was not normal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, because they were so close in age, but... From mm-hmm. what I understand, though, um, gay couples would do that so that it mm-hmm. guaranteed yeah. someone could inherit. Yep. And and I don't blame them if that's why they're doing it. It's just she had the ability to get it done mm-hmm. in a way that other people did not. Right. So you mentioned her 
Anne's former husband and her child. I have some more details and my own theories around this. Do tell. So on February 5th, 1925 in Memphis, Tennessee, and I found the birth record. I think it's the birth record. But anyhow, Anne gave birth to a son who she named George Allen Hollinsworth Jr. And they called him Jack. But who was the father? Where did this baby come from that she gave birth to? And I saw several articles saying that she had the child out of wedlock to his father, George Sr., because it seems natural. He's a junior, so there's a senior, right? And he died. And while I know it was Anne's, I'm pretty sure of that, I don't believe there was ever a George Allen Hollinsworth Sr. Do you think it was maybe the judge? Dun, dun, dun. No, 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 no. I thought it was going to be like super salacious here, you know? No, I I love the super salacious train of thoughts, but I think the story was just that. It was a story. It was created to protect Anne's reputation. And I find it humorous that they created this whole backstory after the baby was born. And by that, I mean from the Greenwood Commonwealth, a paper out of Greenwood, Mississippi on March 14th, 1925. News that will be received with interest in Greenwood by the many friends of Miss Anne Atwood, formerly of this place is the announcement of her recent marriage to Captain George A. Hollinsworth of San Francisco, California. The wedding having taken place in Jackson, Mississippi on Saturday, March 8th at 12 o'clock. Now, Jackson's quite a ways from (laughs) Greenwood, and there were no witnesses at this wedding, by the way. And there's no marriage record in um, Mississippi for the wedding. Okay, wait, I am having an epiphany here. I'm having an epiphany. I've never been married, but I've always wanted to throw a really big party. So what if I just tell everyone I got married and have a wedding reception? Well, that sounds uh, uh, wonderful. That's not what happened here, but that's Damn, I awesome. thought that's what was going on. Okay. Okay. And then the story goes on. It was their intention of keeping the marriage a secret for a while, but the news leaked out and their many friends hastened to shower them with congratulations. Probably leaked out because she just had a brand new baby like the month before. Mrs. Hollinsworth made her home in Greenwood until recently when she accepted a position in the Ida Bina School. Actually, it was in 1924 when she had moved to go to that school, by the way, not 1925. Georgia was working there too. I looked. I looked for a George Hollinsworth in California. I looked for one in Mississippi. I did not find a George Hollinsworth that she could have married. Mm -hmm. And they never met George. And conveniently, he died soon after. So basically, she faked a marriage. Yes, I believe so. And now it's if somebody's actually found him, let me know, but I have not. And he was a sailor in the U.S. Navy. That's what they said he was. And that's how he died. That's handy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's (laughs) no body because, you know, they threw him overboard. Yeah. And I do find it kind of funny that his, the baby's name was George. Mm -hmm. After Mm -hmm. George. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, we know so she George, wasn't the father, but no. her dad could have been. So he obviously she had some sort of relationship with somebody. It got that, but you know, just saying. But nobody knows who. Right. When I went give, to look at DNA on that one. When when did when did Georgia Tan's dad die? He died in 19, 1932. So he could have been the father of this baby. <laughs> he could have. I don't think so. Okay. Let's start a rumor. Yeah, yeah, I wish we could. Uh, that would be fun to. Uh, f- do we know anything about what happened to this kid? 
Yes, and I'm going to get oh, to that. Oh, okay. And unfortunately, maybe we can. Maybe uh, maybe there's some DNA that can be obtained. Okay, go ahead. Never mind. <laughs> Sorry, I have bad news for you on this. Oh but, dear. So, so you know, it's in 1925. They leave Edabina and they go up to Memphis, and they live together from that point until George's death in 1950, as far as I can tell. Um, in 1939, Anne was working as stenographer and secretary for the Boy Scouts of America in Memphis. So she was working outside the home. So let's talk about Anne's son, George or Jack. On April 1st, 1943, World War II is going on. Jack is in high school. He hasn't graduated yet, but he enlists in the U.S. Army. He was 18. He went to boot camp in Mississippi, returned briefly to get his diploma in June. Then he went to Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania for some more training. He took exams and got high marks, making him eligible to become a pilot. And from Pennsylvania, he was sent to Nashville as an aviation cadet at the Nashville Army Air Center. In October, Jack got word that his mother was ill, and he asked for leave and got four days off and arranged an evening flight out of Nashville to Memphis on American Airlines Flight 63. His family waited that evening for the flight to arrive, but it didn't. It wasn't until the next morning that everyone would learn that the plane crashed Mm. in Centerville, Tennessee, a town just 70 miles from Nashville's airport. All 11 people aboard died, eight passengers, three crew. And um, basically what what I understand what happened when the plane got permission to climb by air traffic control, instead it ended up descending. And they think they determined the cause to be um, icing on the wings or propellers. Mm. Wow. So unfortunately there's no DNA because I I thought the same thing. Yeah. It goes through my head. And there's other opportunities for that uh, coming up, though. And oh. what year was that? That was 1943. So I wonder who bought his plane ticket. He might have. The military, he was earning a wage. Well, yeah, but think of how expensive flying was back then. I mean, that wasn't something where you just like, hey, I'm going to go to a flight. You know, it's... I don't know. Maybe because he was military, they were giving them passes during World War Two. Yeah, maybe, maybe they it. had some kind of a, like huge discount for family yeah i mean mm-hmm. we we know his his stepmother and his <laughs> mom had the money but you know mm-hmm. it's interesting but now before i go on to june tan because i have lots of info on her i'm going to talk about um georgia's brother mm-hmm. rob roy because it's an interesting story and this is what um by the way this is what uh raymond said in the baby thief about the judge Saying a pattern Georgia would follow, he was an emotionally cold person who evinced little affection for children, but became known for finding homes for orphans, right? Mm -hmm. And she said, Georgia Tan's second cousin told me that Judge Tan kept and adopted one of these children. Oh. Who grew up as Rob Roy Tan. Oh. But she also goes on to say that other relatives said the opposite, that he never adopted. So nobody knows for sure, but it is possible he was adopted. Wow. He attended Old Miss with plans to be a lawyer like his father. But before he went to school, he actually, I think it was when he was going to school, he worked at the Newton Record sometimes, which was the local newspaper. And in 1910, at 22, he took over the paper temporarily while the editor took a much needed vacation due to failing health. It was announced in the paper, like, I'm taking a break. But, you know, this this boy, he's worked here before. You've seen his stuff. He's going to take <laughs> over for me. <laughs> I saw the entries that a lot of people are listing that he was only married once. He was actually married twice. His first wife was Willie Edna Roberts, and they got married in April 1912. 
He was very nearly 24 and she was 17. Now, a little bit about Willie Edna, which will not fit into the Tan family way of living. Um, she was one of five children. Her father was a coal miner. Ooh. And he died in the Fratterville Mine Disaster of 1902 in Tennessee, oh. not far from Knoxville. He was, he was one of 216 miners who died that day. Oh, my. Now, Willie Edna was seven when he died, and her mother was pregnant. Oh. And times were tough. I mean, that was they were poor. Mm-hmm. So Rob marries this girl who comes from a poor background. I can only imagine the fights on that one. Um, and they had a baby nine months later that they named Beulah Elizabeth or Betty. Hmm. So we have some DNA there. Julie. <gasps> His yeah. wife was rarely mentioned in the local papers. Oh. Although the rest of the tans were mentioned regularly. And even when the whole family was referenced, they were referenced by name, but her name was always missing. Oh, wow. Nice. Willie went to Nashville, <laughs> spending some months there with her mom and younger siblings and took Betty with her. And then I got that because there were articles referencing Rob going there to spend time with his family while her, while she was visiting her mother. In 1915, Rob started working in his father's court as a court stenographer or basically, um, a court reporter. By 196, by December 1916, he was positioning to get an exam to be admitted to the Mississippi bar. He was ready to take that step. Then World War One happens. And Rob enlists in the U.S. Army on June 1st of 1917 and the 140th Field Artillery. His enlistment ended two years later, almost to the day. And I found this in the Newton record on June 19th, 1919. Judge and Mrs. G.C. Tan and little granddaughter Beulah Elizabeth Tan went to Jackson Saturday to see R.R. Tan, who was there for the day en route to Camp Shelby for discharge. And yet again... There's no mention of Willie. So either Willie wasn't there or they're just purposely leaving her out. Mm. Interesting. While he was overseas, Willie was with her family, who now lived in Louisville. And then in December 1919, I found a little snippet in the paper again that mentioned that Rob was going to Louisville to spend Christmas with his wife and daughter. And I suspect he stayed with them. He didn't come return because there were no articles on him in the local paper for a while. October 1923, I found Rob living and working in El Dorado, Arkansas, and Willie is living in New York City. So I don't know what's going on there. Something to keep in mind, when Rob got home from the war, he suffered from what we now know as PTSD, or it was called shell shock shock. at the time. (laughs) So in October to December 1924, he was actually put in a hospital for the shell shock. And it was sometime around this time to 1927 that Rob and Willie would ultimately divorce. Rob married again to a Missouri native, twice divorced, Mrs. Shelley Hall Parrish in Alabama in July 1927. This is when I start to notice that they liked the new Mrs. Tan, the family, because she's mentioned in all the social papers on a regular basis. And that's why it stood out that Willie wasn't mentioned. I'm like, wait, I never saw anything, but now it's Shelley this, Shelley that, Mrs. October 1934. After several months of not being able to work because he had developed tuberculosis, Rob died at the age of 46. Mm. And his wife, his second wife remarried, but still continued to show up in the social pages around the Tan family. Like, oh, and there was, you know, the family was there, including Mrs. Shelley. Yeah. Despite the divorce from her mother, Rob's daughter, 
Betty came to Mississippi regularly to spend time with her father and other Tan family members, the grandparents, with Georgia, but she stayed in her mom's custody. And Willie also got married again, and she married a man by the name of William Leeds Swart sometime after 1930. But like Rob, she died young. Just five years after Rob in 1939, she was 44. Her daughter, Betty, married Frank Burns in 1927, probably in New Jersey, where she and her mother had lived since 1925. She was 15. Her husband was 22. The couple had one son, but the relationship fell apart and they divorced. Did they divorce before she turned 18? Yep. Thank God. She got married again in 1949 to Frederick Wood and her stepfather, William Swart, walked her down the aisle and her son was an usher. Um, she died in 1973 and had three grandchildren. So there's DNA, Julie. Did you did you look for any trees? I did. I did on hers. No, I don't think I looked on hers for any trees. Okay. I did look on June's because okay. we'll get there in a little bit. Oh, all right. So now let's talk about Georgia's daughter, June. We know that she was adopted, but they never told society at large that June was adopted. I don't believe. Where did they think she came from? See, now that's interesting. So (laughs) I have that she was born June 21st, 1921. But I don't know for certain that Beulah adopted her specifically, although it's possible because she had the pool to probably pull that off. Um, But the adoption, they say that the adoption occurred in 1922, but I also heard that June was a baby, so it's probably likely earlier. It was probably not. It was probably not done legally because yeah. she obviously didn't have to answer to anything anyway. True. Yeah. But it's also possible that her parents adopted June and gave June to Georgia, oh. or they helped facilitate it. June lived most of her life with Georgia. However, her parents claimed June as their daughter. And there are lots of little community updates mentioning the baby or little June. Usually they were vague, but every once in a while I see Judge and Mrs. Tan spent the weekend with their daughters, Georgia and June. Huh. When June got married, her wedding announcement had her parents listed as late Judge George Tan and his wife, Beulah. So that everything in society's eyes was that she was the daughter of the judge and his wife. Huh. Now, it could be they claimed they adopted her. Yeah. Because there's no way Mrs. Tan at that point was having a baby. Right. I did once see where June was referenced as their granddaughter, but I believe that was a slip, an accident, because huh. everything else was very carefully made. And according to um, Barbara Raymond, June was forced to call Georgia sissy, hmm. even though June knew her to be her mom. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It was for appearances, I believe. It was just... Yeah. So there was, the, there was a TV movie mm-hmm. in the 90s about Georgia Tan, mm-hmm. um, that Georgia was played by Mary Tyler Moore. Right. And um, uh, what was her name The from Back to the Future? <laughs> Elizabeth um, Shue? Nope. The other one. Um, oh, Leah Thompson? Thompson? Mother. Yeah, Leah Thompson. Leah Thompson played a social worker who was probably an amalgamation of several social workers who yeah. uh, exposed Georgia Tan, I guess. But... There was never, it, never any mention of or reference to a child of George's or, um, or a partner of George's either. 
like mm. yeah, yeah. I don't I I, re- I think I saw the movie and I don't remember that but I'm like well maybe I just forgot yeah you know I, I saw it it's recently. been so long I mean not really recently but yeah recently enough to not have you know they they covered a lot but I, I don't recall them there was definitely not a child well I just can't yeah. imagine how screwy that was for poor June yeah you yeah. know now it's also likely that Beulah Yates Tan, George's mom, is the one who raised June in the year, early years. Yeah. Because, again, Georgia was working as a teacher in Itabena and other locations, and she was very mobile. And they would say, oh, Georgia came to visit, you know, hmm. her sister and her mom, her parents, and those types of things. But at the same time, they'd say, oh, well, Georgia's taking her for the next month. So I just, it seemed very fluid. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in 1925, Georgia Ann and Jack settled in Memphis, and June came to live with them full-time by that point. And even then, at least according to June's daughter, as relayed by her daughter, Georgia didn't raise June. Maybe, maybe. Oh, but they were powerful. I was going to say maybe Georgia's parents wanted to adopt, um, wanted another child, but because of their age, they weren't allowed to. So she mm-hmm. legally adopted them and then, but, but it was really for her parents until they were too old to take care of her. And then she took, that's always know. a possibility. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But, but June said the servant in their house is who actually raised her. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> now I found the 1940 census. Interesting. They lived on Hollyford road in Memphis with five in the home, including a servant, Phyllis Weathers, a 50 year old widowed black woman from Tennessee. And the family was listed as thus, Georgia, head of the family, and Georgia's sister, hmm. Jack, her nephew, June, her sister. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Hmm. June is raised, she goes off to Old Mississippi for college. According to the author, you know, Raymond, she never kind of fit in. She tried to do the debutante thing. It just never worked. And she got married in January 1943 after graduating, to Army Air Corps pilot Lieutenant Christopher Garner Agee in Greenwood, Mississippi. And this would be the first of three marriages for her. And the wedding announcement says, Miss Tan, Lieutenant Agee, united in quiet ceremony. I know how much Zelda loves the um, marriage announcements and stuff. A wedding of unusual beauty and simplicity was solemnized at two o'clock Sunday afternoon at the Church of the Nativity when, and this is where I was talking about the marriage announcement, when Miss June Ann Tan of Memphis, daughter of Mrs. G.C. Tan and the late Chancellor Tan of Hickory, became the bride of Lieutenant Christopher Garner Agee. That goes on and on. Wait, what year is this? 1943. Oh, okay. The marriage ended 14 months later with the news from the war. Two Mid-South men die while overseas. Three others listed as among missing in action. Crash kills Memphian. And there's even a picture of Lieutenant Christopher Garner, A.G. I don't think you guys can see it very clear. Oh, wow. He's a handsome fellow. He is. It says they lost their lives in the line of duty overseas. And Lieutenant Christopher Garner, A.G., husband of Mrs. June Tan, A.G., was killed in a plane crash in the African Theater January 30th. He was pilot of a Liberator bomber and had been overseas only a few days. Mm. So he hadn't been there long. And it turns out, born in Helena, Arkansas, Lieutenant A.G. moved to Memphis as a boy. After graduating from Central High, he attended the University of Tennessee, Washington University, and Texas A&M. 
So, and he entered the Army Air Forces in January 1941. Now, I found the following information on what happened with his flight, and it sounded similar to Cadet Jack Hollinsworth's crash. Hmm. The plane took off at Eknes Field in Dakar, French Morocco. The bomber crashed on takeoff one and a half miles north of the runway after hitting treetops while on a ferry flight to Italy. All nine crew were killed and the aircraft was destroyed. Wow. June had children and she had three children and there seems to be some questions about the children. I can't remember where I saw it, but I saw statements that were saying that all of her children were given to her by her mother through adoption. Wow. But some of this, that can't be true for part of this, although it's possible for a couple of it. So I don't know what the source is on that. So take it with a grain of salt, but um, there's a way to know. Hmm. It was claimed that June suffered two miscarriages early in her marriage with her second husband, Victor Mm. Dupree Watson. So her mother gave her a child, a daughter she and Victor would name Kathy. On Find a Grave, they say they they know her birth name and they have the birth name listed, but I can never find a source to where they were getting that information. Mm. So Mm. I don't know how true that is. Kathy Sue Watson was born at the end of May 1946. It's also been claimed that June adopted all of her children, but that can't be possible because the next child, it is possible. Jack, who was born in Bremerton, Washington, mm-hmm. was a, was probably adopted through Georgia. But Victor and June had three kids and the youngest, Vicki Ann, was born in 1954. Oh. Yeah. Okay. That's not yeah. possible. Yeah. And I found her name listed on the Texas Birth Index oh. with her parents listed as being Victor and... June, but I don't know if they were changing birth records back then for adoptions. I don't think the birth index. Oh, wait a minute. There would be there would be two references. It would it would mm-hmm. have the same reference number, but there okay. would be one with the adoptive parents and one with the surname of the biological mother. I have to go and take a look because I wasn't mm. sure how to look that up if I could find it. Might not be able to, but but I have a. I suspect basically because the first two kids were born in 46 and 47 mm-hmm. and this one was born in 54. I have a feeling this was a natural born child just because. Yeah. Well, I mean, she, Georgia was dead, right? At right. that point. And mm-hmm. in the, I, something tells me that, that uh, they wouldn't have been approved. <laughs> right. For, I, I don't know. think they would have. And I yeah. think just based on it being seven years later. Yeah. Sometimes that, like my, yeah. like I said, my aunt had adopted their first child. She was having problems conceiving. And then a few years later, mm-hmm. that happened they had lot. my cousin. Yeah. Yeah. By 1959, she and Victor have divorced. They have the three kids. She married a third time, and that was to William Warren Hawks, a cab driver from San Francisco. So she had moved out to California. And she was married not long after she moved there in 1961. But June would have a stroke at the age of 49. And she was placed in a nursing home in San Francisco and died on February 23rd, 1972. Oh. So like their mother, all of June's children died young. Mm. The first to die was the oldest, Kathy, who died of cancer in 1975, just three years after her mother. Next was Vicky, who's actually quoted in the book, The Baby Thief, several times. And she passed away at age 47 in 2002. Mm. And the last to die was Jack, who died at age 67. So, I mean, it's young, but not super young, in 2014. 
Georgia has four great-grandchildren, though, who are still living. One, a daughter of Vicky. And I'm curious if she's ever had Ancestry DNA, because I, I do believe I found her user account on Ancestry. But her tree follows everything that I've said. So I don't know that she's done any research on it. Um, Who wrote The Baby Thief? That was Barbara Besance Raymond. Who's Margaret Atwood? She's the one who wrote Handmaid's Tale. Oh, (laughs) okay. Forget I ever said any of this. All right, go ahead. (laughs) Well, that's what I've got on the tree of Beulah George, Georgia Tan. That's so crazy. George. And it really, I mean, I have more, but, you know, there's only so much time. <laughs> her, just her immediate family was crazy. Yeah. Wow. Just all the ins and outs. And I have so many questions. Like, I'm wanting to look at DNA on Julie and, yeah. 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 Now, apparently, um, Anne Atwood did not die. She died. She was older That was when she where died. I was thinking Atwood. I was like, is there a connection between Anne yeah. Atwood and the person who wrote The Baby Thief? I never got to that. Anne died at the age of 96 in 1995. She never oh, wow. married. Oh, wow. She could have had some really good info. Right? Yeah. Darn but it. I, you know, I don't remember when the book was published, but, you know, maybe they tried to reach out and she's like, nope, I'm not talking to you or I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't think she ever really did any interviews afterwards. And I do have a picture of her. And she's beautiful. I think. Really? Mm-hmm. Some people said that she was kind of not that attractive and kept to herself. And so I don't know. Mm. She's just, oh, gosh, that's a mess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. She was something. She was something else. Yeah. That Georgia. <laughs> it's like I'm wanting to look at DNA on Julie. And yeah. 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 Now, apparently, um, Ann Atwood did not die. She died. She was older that was where died. I was thinking Atwood. I was like, is there a connection between Anne yeah. Atwood and the person who wrote The Baby Thief? But- I never got to that. Anne died at the age of 96 in 1995. She never oh, wow. married. Oh, wow. She could have had some really good info. Right? Yeah. Darn but it. I, you know, I don't remember when the book was published, but, you know, maybe they tried to reach out and she's like, nope, I'm not talking to you or I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't think she ever really did any interviews afterwards. And I do have a picture of her. And she's beautiful, I think. Really? Mm-hmm. Some people said that she was kind of not that attractive and kept to herself. And so I don't know. Mm. She's just, oh, gosh, that's a mess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. She was something. She was something else. Yeah. That Georgia. <laughs> well, and that's all for Georgia Tan. We hope you enjoyed um, the last two episodes covering her. And we want to thank Julie Dixon Jackson for joining us. Now, after we finished that discussion about Georgia, Julie shared a story from her own tree. So next week, we kick off the special mini-sode series where she will discuss a story of betrayal, murder, and heartbreak. That'll be next week where murder and family meet. If you enjoyed our discussion on murder and family, we would love it if you would subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You could also help support our podcast by becoming a patron on patreon.com slash murderousroots. For more information on this episode and past episodes, as well as merchandise, just go to our website at murderousroots.com. And of course, you can also find us on social media at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and even on TikTok. Thanks, everyone.